0: podcast where some friends from philly talk about some of our uh favorite movies um so today i'll be host- this is tori i'll be hosting and i'm with sam christine and dave uh we are connor tonight unfortunately uh <laughs> it just feels like this has been a crazy week so everyone's uh, a little like out of sorts and had a lot of like last minute stuff come up so um, we're happy, happy to be here at least and, uh, and talk about this movie, but, um, any like movies or things people have been watching lately that they want to bring up or are excited about? So I can't <sighs> hear if
1: I talked about oh this God. before or not, but I watched the Night Stalker docuseries on Netflix and it was really good. It's about Richard Ramirez. Um, it was probably, like, the best true crime documentary I've watched, like, ever. It was just really well done, and mo- more focus was on the people than it was on him, which was just fantastic. And then I watched um, Ripper, uh, also on Netflix, oh, about the i yeah. Ripper. I've, I'm only one episode in, and I don't know if I'm going to watch any more, um, so... The reason being is the way that the people then and the people now are talking about the victims. So most of the victims in the beginning were sex workers. And I understand what the terminology was back in the day and like why they were using it. But the way that they spoke about the women back when it was happening, I think in the 80s, um, back when it was happening then, the things that they were saying about these women were just so vile, basically that they deserved it. And, um, they still have the same perspectives today. And I just cannot get through that. It was making me feel sick to my stomach. And the last victim we got to was a 16 year old girl. And they said she was innocent. And I was like, no, I'm turning this off. I I'm not about this at all. And it's just like, it is literally 2021. This is a new show. If you are a director or producer at this point in time, and you're still allowing this type of language to happen to, to and, and putting it out there for the public, shame on you because that's that's not what we say anymore. And like also these people were people, their lives had value. And the fact that they're still not acknowledging that is fucking disgusting.
0: There's such a fine line with true cl- crime. And I like have always loved it. But like I ne- now I'm like, as I've, you know, learned more especially about like our criminal justice system and like you know just how these things go it's like man we still don't talk about this stuff the way it should be talked about sometimes which is yeah
2: I think it's unfortunate that a show wouldn't examine the people that they're like critically examine that the language that's used in like by people that the, the show the producers are interviewing to like assess yeah evaluations that are made of of sex workers and especially within the true crime context yeah, sounds like it sucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what was really disappointing was that there was a moment where finally a woman was interviewed. I think like she had been involved in the case somehow. I barely even remember. And she was talking about how the newspapers were talking about these women. And I was like, oh, fucking finally. And then it just, it didn't amount to anything. And it might come to fruition in, in later episodes, but I decided that I can make the decision to watch it or I can make the decision to not watch it. And I'm going to not because it's yeah. I, I don't need to.
0: I was listening to an old episode of My Favorite Murder and they were talking about this case where like a black kid was like lynched Ooh. and they were discussing like, they were like, it's really weird that like the police just like did an autopsy and like cremated the body without his mom knowing. And like... Seems like they mishandled evidence, and why would that happen? That seems so weird. And the whole time I was exercising on my bike, and the whole time I was yelling because he was black and they were racist. And the fact that they never brought that up was like so frustrating to me. Yeah,
1: are yeah. actually a yeah. little under fire right now too. For oh really? Asking. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're exactly right. Like how we yeah. talk about things in true crime. We need to have the conversation about what's okay to say, what's not. Whose stories should we be sharing to? Yeah. Um, Yeah, so watch The Night Stalker. They did a great job. Don't watch Ripper.
0: That's good to know.
2: Speaking of serial killers, I started watching Hannibal. (laughs) Yay! I'm like... I'm, like, six episodes in. I honestly don't know if I like it or not. First of all, it's giving me nightmares. Like, I had a really fucked-up dream that, like, my cat ate another cat and its, like, severed head was coming out of his body. Like, fucked-up shit like that. But nightmares aside, like, I feel like I can handle some pretty, like, visceral gore. And, like, the set design is, like, really impressive, I think. Um, but none of the characters talk like real people, and it really frustrates me. Yeah,
0: I can see that. Um,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. Um,
0: season season one is good. Season two is like probably the best. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. I I started it because I watched Manhunter, mm. which is like essentially yeah. Will Graham's. First appearance in movies, I think. Yeah, I was like, okay, give me some more. (laughs) I feel like Hugh Dancy. I I love him, but he's kind of hard to like. I'm gonna stick with it. I, 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 I'm gonna keep going. I feel like each episode feels like a psychology 101 lesson, as they're like Mm. explaining to me what's happening, like, which I'm fine with. But I feel like I'm like, give me, let me, let me explore some things. Don't, don't explain through dialogue everything that I'm watching, but... I'm going to, I'm going to make it through this first season. I'm going to dive right into second season.
0: <laughs> Feel free to text me if you want to debrief on Hannibal at all. Cause like I just made Garrett watch him for first time, like this past summer. Um, and I love it, but like I totally understand what you mean about like some of the dialogue and stuff. Um, I think that uh, Hugh Dancy does a really good job, but he's also a totally different Will Graham than we've seen in movies. And i am led to believe it's a little bit closely, more closely aligned with, like, the books. But I also haven't read the books, so I, like, I'm not totally sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, it, and I like that he's a character that you are slowly sort of, like, unraveling. And there is there is a lot of, like, layers and complexities to his character, but at first I was, like, no seems suit, like exist in a space that, like, resents closely resembles any like human space and and like I love like stylized stuff and it's hyper stylized and I love that but I do it's just like for once I want two people to just sit down and like talk about like the most mundane shit just to remind me that they're people
0: (laughs) yeah it exists in the weird uh I don't want to say fantasy because that sounds like it's nice it, it exists in, like, a totally different reality from ours, uh, you know, that it's just yeah. the the darkest recesses of humanity, um, but Hannibal's got some really dope suits in it. Oh my god, those suits are just on point. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, low-key in love with Mads Mikkelsen. He's the best. You said suits, not soups. I was like, yeah, what kind of soups? I mean, he also, also makes really delicious-looking food, even though you know most of the time it's human. Yeah. Mm. The food
2: looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, the production design from the like gory crime scenes to the food, whoever does the food is like it's brilliant.
0: I have the Hannibal cookbook at my house, oh. so oh. yeah, <laughs> yes.
3: Other than this week's movie and um, next week's movie, uh, the only thing that I've watched for the past. I think like a week and a half and literally the only thing has been The Sopranos because <laughs> um, I started the series over again um for the first time in a while and uh, just got really hooked in and was like okay I mean these hour long episodes feel like about a half hour at the clip they're going so I'm just gonna keep plowing through and then there would just be like whole days where I would just watch The Sopranos all day <laughs> um, Good show. so I'm almost... uh, I'm rounding the corner of finishing it um, again now. And, um, yes, it's it's just as great as I remember. And it's on HBO Max, so check it out.
2: Did you know that they're making a Sopranos prequel movie?
3: Yeah, I've heard about this. I don't know how stoked I am about that idea necessarily, but we'll see what comes of it and who's behind it and who's going to be featured. So, um, uh, maybe.
2: Apparently... Uh, Gant- James Gandolfini's son is going to play... Oh, yeah. Tony? I, I don't... Is Tony Soprano? Yeah. yeah. I don't watch huh. to. But I only know because I was, like, obsessively... I've just been, like, obsessively watching... <laughs> like press and interviews about First Cow with Kelly Reichard, <laughs> and I was watching an inter or listening to an interview with John Magaro who plays Cookie in First Cow, and he's going to be in it mm. as like, oh, I don't know any of the characters, I won't know, so he's going to be in it, and so maybe I'll watch it just because he's in it.
0: I what I've been like rewatching, so I've seen some like new stuff that's like pretty decent. Um, but I did watch the Rob Zombie Halloween movie uh, recently for our for the podcast Garrett and I are doing, and that is just not a good movie. Um, but I did rewatch Gone Girl the other day because I had been, like, really wanting to rewatch it. And, man, that movie is, like, so satisfying and, like, low-key funny. Every time I watch that movie, I forget how hilarious all of it is. Um, and, like, I don't love... Uh, Ben Affleck so it's kind of hilarious watching him just like go through the ringer um and then at the end when she shows up and he just whispers in her ear you fucking bitch (laughs) it's like so funny um but also that's it because I know we talked about this like a few weeks ago when we were talking about soul um but I I kind of forgot that um Atticus Ross and um, Trent Reznor do a lot of the music now for Fincher's movies. And so I've been listening to the Gone Girl soundtrack. And it's kind of great because it kind of just sounds like Nine Inch Nails, like instrumentals, like with no vocals. And it's like really good. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, didn't they do Mank too? Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think they won. I think they started working with him in the social network and they won an Academy Award for that, I believe. And since then they've been working with Fincher on like his stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean I love that Trent Reznor has like done taken this on as his like new uh thing doing movies. It's pretty great. Um and then also Sunday they released the uh Godzilla versus Kong trailer. Uh and it looks amazing. <laughs> it's so, Karen and so- I was- Garrett and I were screaming, especially when, because it's Adam Wingard, and so when you see a shot of Godzilla, and it's a whole neon city around him, it's going to be like Japan or something, we were like, oh my god. Um, And then Kong has a weapon, which is really cool, so uh, yeah, I can't wait, and everyone should watch it. (laughs) We might rent out a movie theater for Garrett's birthday to try to go see it, because we kind of think that's like, the only way we would safely like go to a theater now if like we just rented it out and like with some of our people but uh either that or we have to buy a bigger tv because clearly we don't have a big enough tv for Godzilla and Kong yeah um but yeah, I guess we can get into our movie, which this was a one that I picked because we talked about it on our 100 episodes, but it was also one that was on my list of like I want to rewatch this um just because with the state of the world, there's something really satisfying about this movie, uh which is the 2009 Quentin Tarantino film Glorious Bastards. Um which, you know, I think I've watched this a couple times during the Trump presidency because it's just, like, always really satisfying to watch Nazis die in pretty horrific ways. Um... So yeah, um *Glorious Bastards, I guess the best way to describe it is like historical fiction, um, historical weird fantasy. Um, so it takes place during World War II, uh, and it follows the bastards who are a group assembled mostly of like Jewish soldiers who uh are killing Nazis. That's their whole G- that's their whole gig, and they owe a uh, hundred Nazi scalps to um, Aldo Rain, played by Brad Pitt. Um, so it follows the same, but it's also a lot about this woman, Shoshana, who um, escapes uh, the Nazis when she was very young, um, and they like annihilated her family. And so it's also about her journey, trying to hide uh, her identity later in life, and also trying to seek uh, some revenge on the Nazi regime. Uh, and this movie has, like, a pretty wild cast. Um, so you have Brad Pitt. Um, I always forget her name. Uh, Melanie Lawrence plays Troshana. Um, Christopher Waltz is uh, SS Colonel Hans uh, Landa, which I can't wait to talk more about him. Um, Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, Daniel Bruhl, um, BJ Novak, like, this uh and also one of my favorite appearances in the film, Mike Myers, which is hilarious every single time I see it. Um, but yeah, before I guess we talk more about like the details of the film, has ever, has everyone seen this before?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I had never seen it. Before.
0: Oh, cool. What did you think, Christine?
2: I yeah, I I thought it was I thought it was really good. I I think i had sort of I'd sort of avoided Tarantino movies for a long time, <laughs> sure. and then I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and really liked it. And then I was like, okay, maybe I like I'd seen Kill Bill, like I'd seen them, but I just really never cared about really yeah. caring about them. Um, and I think that having watched Once Upon a Time and then watching Inglourious for the first time, I, I like. I think it like gave me a more comprehensive sense of like things that Tarantino loves to do and things that he's really good at. I think it's still, I still had like a lot of questions and we'll be curious to know your guys thoughts, um, about some aspects of the movie, but I thought great performance, like he can really showcase the talent of the actors that he, that he has, uh, perform in his movies so uh it was a really really great to see standout performances melanie, melanie laurent was so good. so good um and Christoph waltz is like like really wonderful yeah all the performances were great um and so it was it was a it was an interesting and fun ride to see it for the first time
0: Melanie Laurent's person who I, like, looked up after, because I'm like, I feel like I've seen her in stuff, and she's been in things here and there, a lot of a, m- a lot more French stuff, but she actually, like, directs a decent amount now, which was kind of cool to hear. So I, like, would love to see some of her, like, directorial work.
2: That's cool. Yeah, I, I've seen her in Beginners. Yeah, um, yeah Beginners. I think came after this, right? Because I think this was kind of, like, her, at least in it, like, in American mm-hmm. theaters, like, her breakout role, um, but... Yeah, yeah, she's definitely one to one to watch.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Sam and Dave have seen this before. Uh, but how, what do you guys think about this movie? What's your relationship with this movie?
1: Um, this movie pisses me off because I like it and I fucking hate Quentin Tarantino. I know. Oh. <sighs> I think also my hatred of him has kind of poisoned the well a little bit. So when I rewatched it again for the podcast, I was like, I, I don't like this. I don't like that. And I think it was really stemming from the fact that I just don't want to give him anything. Um, I love the Shoshana storyline i think that that is probably the best part of the whole movie um the climactic scene with her in the movie theater is like hands down one of the best things that i have ever seen and especially because like in the moment you're just like feeling it but upon this rewatch Brad Pitt just really takes me out of the moment. And I also think that I'm on a uh, hating bad uh, Brad Pitt train, which is so, I loved him as a kid, and now I'm like, ugh, he sucks sometimes.
0: Oh, that's funny. Mine's the opposite journey with Brad Pitt, where I thought he was just like, I thought he was just some like vapid Hollywood hunk. And now I'm like, oh, he's weird. I dig him. (laughs) I don't know. I
1: think I rewatched Legends of the Fall recently. And Mm. when I saw that when I was younger, I was like, I love Brad Pitt, blah, 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 blah. And then I saw it again, and I'm like, fuck him, man. So, you know, it's just one of those phases you go through.
3: Sam, I kind of relate, could relate for a while. Every time I watched this movie earlier on, I was kind of just like, I I do like Pitt, but I think that he can be a little flat sometimes. And I thought, he's not flat in this, but he's playing, you know, a character. So that's such an exaggerated character uh, within the context of the story and his performance that it took me out of it initially. But every time I've watched it since, and specifically this last time, I was kind of like, okay, no, I think it's shuffled in pretty properly. But I do... I do see where you're coming from. Um, yeah. I, I was also pretty big on Tarantino um, when I was younger. Uh, imagine that, you know, a white guy growing up in the suburbs. I was big into Tarantino. Um, but uh, I, I think, yeah, I, uh, like Sam, I've got, I've got my issues with him uh, as the director and as a like a Hollywood figurehead. But I think his movies are generally very good, uh, generally. I have my exceptions, too, with that. Um, But this is a really sound example of of him doing some of his his tightest filmmaking. I think it's really interesting in this movie how much time we're allowed to sit with certain set pieces and scenes. Like, I mean, the initial scene, um, Shoshana's backstory and our introduction to Christoph Waltz's character, um, that's 20 minutes of this two-and-a-half-hour movie. Um, yeah. there's also the scene in the tavern, and it it, it allows for so much time because I think it really gives the film a lot of room to breathe with its storytelling and with individual characters who do shine in their own right as actors. Um, so it it's a movie that feels like it gives these characters and the situations a little more space than he normally does, which I think really works in this movie. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think, I think I'm on board as far as the not loving Quentin Tarantino. I think there are certain pieces I like of his a lot. Like, um, I wasn't as crazy about Once Upon a Time as Hollywood as everyone else was. I thought it was pretty good, but like rewatching Kill Bill recently, like Kill Bill is like really amazing. Um, and I think Jackie Brown is like super underrated. Um, but yeah, he's not like a person that I gravitate towards and, I think there's probably a good reason for that. And, you know, there is, like, you know, it. this also is one of those other movies that was, like, a Weinstein production, so it's, like, also under that, which is, like, never gives you, like, a good feeling nowadays going into these movies. Um, one of the things I thought was really interesting was that um, Brad Pitt, like, wouldn't work with the that production company, and he only took this role because he wanted to work with Quentin Tarantino, but I guess, like, he confronted um Weinstein because he was like harassing Gwyneth Paltrow when he and Gwyneth Paltrow were dating back in the day which is really interesting
2: um that's interesting so he was already like at like at odds with the Weinstein company whoa interesting
0: yeah which is pretty I was like that's like a really interesting tidbit of this for sure um but yeah, like I I like this film a lot, and one of the things I do like about Tarantino is that he clearly loves like grindhousey cinema, which is something that like I've been like growing more into. Um, so like there were you know when I watch his films now I like start to realize like what movies he was taking from and what he was inspired by, and that's like kind of cool to like see like all of the like original stuff. Um, like watching Lady Snowblood for the first time recently, I was like, oh, that had like such a big influence on Kill Bill, which is really cool. Um, But yeah, this is probably like my favorite of the movies. And I remember the first time I saw it and I saw it in theaters, not like loving this movie. And I think it was because like I saw it and I was like, man, I feel like the bastards were barely in it. And that's like what I thought we were all here to see. And it's interesting as I've watched it more and more, I like it more and more. And I think one of the reasons is because like, it feels like it's much more Shoshana's story than anyone else. Um, And her arc is, like, so powerful. Um, And the bastard stuff is fun. It's, like, those are the moments you get to see them just, like, you know, gruesomely ripping apart Nazis. But, like, really, like, all the, like, emotional, like, guttural stuff is, like, with Shoshana. Uh, Can I also
1: just say that, like, anytime I see B.J. Novak, I'm just like, hey, it's B.J. Novak. Like, (laughs) I feel so bad, but there's just some actors like that where you're like, I I just, it's
2: just, you're from You're just
0: you.
2: (laughs) I thought that was a great casting choice because it it, seeing somebody like B.J. Novak, like a comedian and sort of more of like a pop culture reference, I feel like. Takes you out of it, but in a very purposeful way. Just as, like, the yeah. Samuel Jackson voiceovers, it's it's just this wonderful Mike Myers. My, yeah, the appearance of exactly yeah. the cameo of Mike Myers. These different elements uh, are just fun plays on it, 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 like, it's sort of just a fun mixing of, of t- time, times, and sort of this like postmodern movie that sort of like commenting on itself. And so, yeah. those are sort of fun. Things. Yeah. Same Sam. I was like, that's really funny. That's just BJ I was,
0: I was thinking about that too because um, like a week or two ago, Garrett had me watch The Informant for the first time. I had never seen it before. And that movie is like so funny, but like it's pretty dry. And yet most of the movie is populated with comedians. And I think that's so interesting because it's like it's just the comedy of like how crazy this whole like. Thing that's happening is and so they just like play it straight the whole time and yet that really works and i was thinking that with that too i was like it's so weird there are a lot of comedic actors in this and um adam sandler was supposed to play um donnie donowitz uh which is like really weird to think about which like ultimately it's eli roth but you're like yeah so they like this is kind of what they were going for was like populating this with comedians which is an interesting move because um The Mike Myers scene, too. Like, he's definitely goofy and silly, but he's not like full Mike Myers, you know?
2: I loved that understated kind of reigned in Mike. Like, you could see it a little under the surface, but you're like, this is a wonderfully restrained Mike Myers. And the scene is inherently funny. Like, the shot, the room is so big. And like, <laughs> you, you watch Michael Fassbender enter the door and you're like, as a viewer, half or like, no, like all the way across the room. And then he like takes the drink out of the globe. And then that random old dude is sitting in the way far other corner. And you're like, the orientations of space in this scene are so odd.
0: <laughs> Very odd. Um, another funny thing about B.J. Novak, I don't know how many of you have like watched The Office obsessively and it was one of the reasons I'm sad Connor wasn't here but um he like BJ Novak had to take a leave like to from the office to do this movie and so the way he does it in Parks and Rec is like unprompted just tells Kelly uh his girlfriend that he's dating he's like I have to go to Thailand with my friends <laughs> and then he just fucking leaves and that was like him like leaving to go to which I think is like really hilarious. <laughs> um uh, a couple like things like I wanted to talk about. One was just that um with the casting, um the guy that plays, I'm gonna forget his his name, which is annoying. Um, Till uh Schweiger. Um he plays the infamous like German who joins the bastards who like murder. Yeah, he plays Stieglitz. Uh, which I love the title card he gets. Like, I wish they did that more in the movie with all the bastards, but, like, that's such, like, a, a fun thing to do. Um, but he's, like, a you know, he's of German origin, and so he felt really uncomfortable wearing the Nazi uniform. And so he said he would only wear the Nazi uniform if he got to kill a Nazi in every scene that he was wearing it in, which is, like, way to go, man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as some of the performances go, um... I think the main one I love talking about is Christoph Waltz. Because this was one of his, like, this was, like, his breakout performance. Um, And I believe the first scene he did, um, like, the first, like, week he was on set was that first opening scene, which is one of the most tense and chilling moments of the film. And you don't really even, like, you kind of know why, but not totally. And it's so interesting how that scene plays out where you're just like sitting there and they're having this conversation and you know it's this weird dynamic where he's talking to this like Nazi officer. So obviously he's nervous. And then it pans down and you see like this whole like Jewish family that's like under the floorboards. Um, Yeah, it's like, it's amazing to me that they found someone to do this. It, It sounds like they were like, having trouble finding an actor that they thought would play Hans Landa. Um, And I think actually Fassbender asked about it um, in his audition and Quentin Tarantino said something along the lines of anyone that played Heathcliff is not going to be my Landa, (laughs) which is great.
3: Yeah. One thing that I'd read was that um, after writing the script for nearly a decade, Tarantino almost considered abandoning it when he found that he'd felt he, re- he wrote the ca- uh, character Colonel Haaslanda to be, quote, unplayable. Um, so it, it, I think he's right. I mean, uh, other than Christoph Waltz, I don't think this would have been possible. Uh, he, he elevates that character to such an extreme, although it's an extremely well-written character. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine anyone else stepping in and making it that performance. And I think it was like one of those rare, like born to play a part kind of performances. He's
0: chilling. Yes. He's like, so he's so like creepily friendly. And it's amazing how he does that in every scene he's in.
2: I, I was really thinking about his performance. Like I, I had read an interview with Tarantino in which he said he thinks that Hans Land is like the land is like the best character he's ever written and possibly will ever write. Um, and I think it's just like, I've been sort of thinking about that. And like Christoph Waltz is, his performance is absolutely magnetic. Uh, but something I had been kind of wrestling with and thinking about is kind of this idea, like about the movie's intention to kind of upend power dynamics between Nazis and Jews, uh, by presenting, uh, of a gratifying revenge tale that endows Jewish characters with power, uh, like physical power, but also the power of like the art of cinema and like yeah. basically in the space of a theater killing all Nazis. Um, but it, it, so I feel like it kind of complicates things a little bit to me when a movie director cherishes that his like most well-crafted character is landa and i'm not saying like you can't have an amazingly compelling villain Mm. uh but it i feel like it's just it kind of complicates that idea of like does it endow this character with power even though the intention of the movie is to upend and like completely flip these power dynamics it's Mm. like it like I'm not saying one or the other, but I just it got me kind of thinking about a director being very clear about how much he thinks that this is the best character that he's ever written. Um, but but like I yeah I don't know what conclusion I would draw from that. But it, but so so counter.
3: I mean I I could see that, but at the same time I think it's just because it is in terms of the structure and and world building and momentum of the storytelling just such a central and um interesting figure uh and played so well that it stands out as one of his favorites and i mean it's i I don't think it's one of those things that affords the character necessarily some like reverential power after the fact especially because the last scene of the movie spoiler alert is him being brutalized despite coming out on top so i don't know i i guess i see where you're coming from a bit but i i don't know if it's necessarily intentionally or I, I don't know if it plays out that way in my mind i don't know yeah
2: i i just it's part of me is like my inability to separate the the creation and like i just my in my mind tarantino like like, gleefully talking about his, like, amazing, like, character I think that
3: may be one of the many cases of Tarantino being the problem, not the work.
2: That's, that's, I think that's just something I need to kind of work out. Or maybe not. Who gives a shit? (laughs) But.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to, uh, yeah, he's just a hard person to grapple with. And the things he say just don't, like, make it any better, usually, for me.
3: Well, I guess, just. One thing that I I guess I I thought maybe we could touch on is um, as as concerns Tarantino in particular, and and the environment of the set is uh, uh, Diane Kruger's character, um, uh, Hammer Smark. One thing that comes up in the film's production is that it's Tarantino's own hands choking Diane Kruger's character in the scene with Christoph Waltz. Mm -hmm. Um, In his words, uh, I said, "Look, I've got to strangle you. If uh, it's just a guy with hands on your throat or your neck, not putting." any kind of pressure, and you're doing this wiggling death rattle. It seems like a normal movie strangulation. It looks movie-ish. He went on to say, this was an issue of me acting the actress. Could we do this to get a more realistic effect? And she agreed to it. Um, She knew it would look good and ultimately trusted me to do it. Um, I would ask a guy the same thing. In fact, I would probably be more insistent with a guy. Now, that having been said... Uh, He did also insist on uh, being the one to strangle Uma Thurman on the set of Kill Bill 2, uh, cutting off her airway and spitting on her face during the take. Uh, On the same set, Thurman reportedly uh, learned that a vehicle being used for the scene was faulty and approached Tarantino about not doing the scene. And she went on to say that he came into her trailer and, quote, didn't like to hear no, like any director. He was furious because it had cost him time, uh, but I was scared. He said, I promise you the car is fine. He then instructed her to go forty, 40 miles an hour, uh, or quote, "Your hair won't blow the right way, and we'll make you do it again." Uh, and the car veered off course and crashed into a tree.
2: Did you guys watch the footage? There, like the there's a Times profile I think on like last year, or two years ago, where it was finally released, yeah. and it's just so.
0: He's.
3: It's out. a thing that Thurman has has gone on to say that she no longer blames Tarantino for the accident, although she was caught up in a legal battle trying to obtain that footage for a long time, uh, which was actually withheld largely by the Weinstein company. Um, And Tarantino has gone on to call the accident, quote, the biggest regret of his life. But uh, I don't know. It's maybe like, well, it's a few too many instances of seemingly an unsafe set and directorial entitlement uh, that I think is... Uh, it kind of harkens back to a lot of, like, tour cinema of the 1970s, but in this era, yeah. it's not really the kind of thing that should be allowed on a, a film set.
0: Yeah, it's just not... You can, you can make a perfectly fine movie, I think, without having to put your actors through, like, potentially, like, harmful situations.
2: Yeah.
3: And I can see the merit in that to a degree if an actor is perhaps the one to bring that to the table, but when a director yeah. puts them in that position, I think it's... Yeah an unfair dynamic
0: yeah i agree for sure yeah he's he's probably not the
2: best (laughs) one thing i will say it like along the lines of like his movies being sort of showcases for his like movie knowledge and and movie references that i feel like was fun to watch uh, different references to uh, movies, and sort of this wonderful uh, sort of display of, of movies as either wartime propaganda, but also in the, the case of this movie, uh, possible uh, narratives to like escapist revenge that, like, the, like rewrite history and, and just sort of using films and cinema in, 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 in an interesting way. Um, wh- and, and the references also were an example of, like, it not, in, like, if I didn't get the reference, it didn't inhibit my ability to understand what was going on in the story, yeah. which I really appreciated. Um, and that's, I think, a testament to really good writing, where it's, like, people some, like movie lovers and knowledgeable movie, you know, scholars are going to get these references. Others won't. Yeah, I didn't get any of them. And it's just like, I, I could still enjoy the comedy of this, of uh, the, uh, of the scenes. One specific thing that I really liked also was um, like the fact that so much of the movie was in either French or German. And
0: I think only 30% of it is English, which is kind of cool for a Hollywood film.
2: And like the, the the scene where I think it was Diane Kruger asking Brad Pitt, or no, maybe it was maybe it was uh, Waltz. Somebody is asking like, why don't Americans speak any other language besides mm. English? And while these other European actors are showcasing their like multilingual skills, and I think it was I sort of took it as a comment of like sort of Anglocentric perspective in a lot of American movies where they're like either playing characters from other countries and only speaking in English or using terrible accents to try to approximate the language. But I thought that that was uh, a great uh, detail in the movie, Um, kind of a nice jibe at like lazy American filmmaking. (laughs)
0: I love the way that uh, Waltz embellishes his Italian at the end when he's talking to them and making fun of them, knowing that, like, none of them are actually Italian. And so he just goes, like, all out.
3: Oh, my, yeah. And also, the uh, the uh, that's bingo.
0: Bingo. <laughs> we just
3: say bingo.
2: That's what you say,
0: right? Um, I was just going to say, Christine, going off of, like, your your thing on film, like, one thing we were talking a lot about was just, like, how Nazis and other, you know, other, you know, regimes have done this too, like, uh, have weaponized film as propaganda to push their message, like, forward, um, and, like, oftentimes really harmful messages, Um, and so then the film, like, you know, on the other side, ultimately, like, at the very end, Shoshana weaponizes actual film to burn all of these Nazis to death, which is, like, really awesome and symbolic um for for that ending. So yeah, I wanted to I guess talk about like favorite scenes, uh some of our favorite bastards maybe, performances, stuff we like about the movie.
3: Yeah, I mean we've oh, spoken about like about Waltz. He you know, he's a it's a command performance really. Uh he speaks the most languages in the film, which is four, uh English, yeah. French, German and Italian. Uh he also dubbed his own performance in the German edition, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> um I believe he also won uh best supporting actor for this as well. Um, which was the first uh Tarantino uh acting nomination to uh to win. And like I said about Pitt before, I initially found him to be uh, distractingly caricature esque. But as we were just discussing as far as um yeah, as far as this, our treatment of like American uh soldiers in a European war, it's actually kinda of fitting the way that they're also sort of just like and I guess it translates a little bit too with Eli Ross character where it's just sort of this exaggerated caricature of uh, some different American accents. Uh, Eli Roth, I do think, is the only bad actor in the film. <laughs> I, do, I don't think he's very good in this movie. And I think just sort of like, you know, probably writing a little bit of Tarantino's coattails in terms of publicizing that being his huge influence and so on. But um, but I think his character's interesting.
0: Donny um, Donowitz.
3: Yeah. Um, I think maybe we get one detail too many also if uh, you read some of the trivia where I guess... Even though it's 1944, one one of the Jewish names carved on uh, the bear-Jews bat is Anne Frank. Yeah. Which is like, uh, I mean, yeah, did he know her personally? Because that was published, what, like two years later when a lot of the horrors of the camps were exposed. So it just feels like one of those details too many that it's an anachronism that even though this is exaggerated historical fiction kind of breaks the reality a little bit too much in approaching it in that kind of like almost like branded sense i don't know something about it puts a bad taste in my mouth um the things i do like about this movie is that it's stunningly edited uh its pacing is really great like i said we're, we're given a lot of time to really soak in some scenes um a lot of the big set pieces and a lot of the things that are really big components of the storytelling uh but we also have really quick cuts like um landa calling down to his men to tell him uh, that pit is uh, the guy they need to tackle. And then some an immediate hard cut to him, like mid-tackle. So uh, it plays with pacing a lot in a way that's really interesting. And I think it's also one of Tarantino's best-looking movies, too.
0: Mm. Yeah, it does look great. Even on my, like, you know, just DVD copy of it, it looked, like, very good.
3: I think one of my favorite scenes
2: is in the restaurant between Landa and Shoshana. Um, it's, it's extremely intense and horrifying. But I think that... I think as far as characters and performance, those two really stand out. And I think that scene, like, is really where you can see both of their performances shining so much, where Waltz gets m- more lines and but you can just see on Melanie Laurent's face, her horror wondering, does he recognize me? Does he know who I am? And Waltz, I think, is one of the most convincing eater actors. Something I just kept noticing is how (laughs) convincingly he ate and talked. It's just one of those little things where I, I always am wondering if the person is actually eating the food, how many takes they had to do it. Oh, is the food, is the editing such that the food is actually more intact than it really should be. I just get, like, lost in those details sometimes. And I feel like that scene does eating really well. Waltz's performance is amazing. And then when he leaves, when Shoshana yeah. just collapses, like, you can see her face completely change. I was like, that was such a tight, well, perf- like, well-acted scene and um, where, like, two of the main characters just, like are right there face to face. Of,
0: one of, I was th- I love that scene too. And especially when he first shows up and you don't see his face, but she recognizes his voice and the music kicks in Im- immediately. And it's this really like anxiety inducing, like pulsing music that starts playing. Um, but then I was, one of the things I was reading about that scene too is he orders the food for her and he orders her a glass of milk and I think it's strudel um and so one of the takes on that was that he ordered her the milk because that is what he was drinking at the farm right before he murdered her family and that the strudel like the dessert that he ordered her at the time typically would have been made with pig lard uh and therefore it was not kosher uh so her, her being jewish like that was like a test of her eating it or not which is like the levels that this guy like mind fucks people in this movie are really horrifying. Um, yeah, yeah, an interestingly yeah.
3: monstrous yeah. character. Yeah, but like, yeah. but like, I think almost all the characters in this movie, um, except maybe, I don't know, I'm I, I still not convinced by Eli Roth, but uh, but everybody else, I think lends a knockout performance to an extremely well written character because this is such a character centric movie, albeit. Um, kind of a movie that is uh, sort of like more of like a spy drama that is driven by moment that would normally be driven by momentum is really driven by characters.
0: Yeah. I um I, Another actor I think is so interesting in this movie is um, Daniel Bruhl. Um, and I think he's watching him. Like I am every time I'm watching him. I'm like, he's so fucking annoying. Like is he if this guy, he plays um, uh, the main uh, star of the film, the, the war hero
2: oh that sniveling shit
0: oh yeah yeah he's the sniper um and he's like so annoying the way he like will not leave Shoshana alone when she is like clearly not interested in him and it's fascinating because he's like so like oblivious to the fact that it's like dude you're wearing a nazi uniform of course this bitch doesn't want to talk to you and then also him just constantly being like but i'm a nice guy and i'm a nice guy until the very end when he like fucking pushes the door open when she rejects him. And you're just like, man, this is, like, such an interesting take also, like, in an early take on, like, the nice guy character, uh, which I really enjoyed this time.
3: It was actually really funny. I was seeing it uh, with a housemate who was seeing it for the first time today, and um, they kind of turned to me midway through when we were first meeting those characters, and, like, he's insisting on getting to know her by, like, intruding um and she's like kind of resistant and and, uh my housemate was like look if you tell me that they get together in the end of this movie and i had to be like "Mm, no it's not gonna be that at all but uh, i can't say right now
0: (laughs) yeah not so much also it's it's so small but her relationship with uh her her partner that works as the projectionist at the theater Mm -hmm. is like one of the only like really cute, adorable relationships in the movie. And we only get like little bits of it here and there. But um, those, those parts like I really enjoy every time I watch it now. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that's like most of the things that I was like really interested in talking about with the film. Were there any other like thoughts or, or moments that we wanted to discuss?
3: I had a a question for the group, which is that um, the scene at the end, of course, or toward the end, Uh, Just before the final, the final scene, the penultimate scene, I guess, uh, with the theater when everything kind of like goes into full tilt. Everyone's all the Nazis are barricaded in this theater. They're trying to trying to get out. The fire has been set. Uh, They're being blasted by Eli Roth and the other bastard. And um, as as all this is going on, like the first time I saw it in 2009, I was like so floored in, in theaters. I saw it opening weekend hoping to avoid just that kind of spoiler and just lost it. Cause it was like, it's a piece of historical fiction as concerns world war II. but you don't expect that Hitler, a Hitler dummy is going to be blown to smithereens in the scene. So it's so cathartic and like e- the whole audience is just energized and like going nuts. Um, It's really interesting to see now though, I think in the sense that even though I understand obviously entirely different circumstances, it's a military operation and these are all like Nazi high command, but how do we feel about uh? seeing a theater being shot up in a movie it it kind of like it was a weird twinge for me this time because it, it's normally like a scene that the first time i saw it and obviously the ethos is there like you know rah rah blast blast these nazis but seeing a theater being shot up now in maybe like 20 uh, 2021 um in a way that doesn't take anything away from the movie i think is uniquely chilling kind of right yeah or am i alone in that
0: no i think I mean, any, and especially since there have, you know, there was the scary shooting with the, what was it? The Dark Knight Rises. That was like the premiere with that dude. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, just because we're all so fucking used to hearing those stories and seeing those things. And yeah, it's like the, that context is like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, fuck these Nazis. But even then you're like, man, I if this was scene was different somehow, if it wasn't a mass shooting, I think maybe it would have been, like, more satisfying. Like, if they had all just, like, straight up, like, been trapped in the theater and, like, burned in the fire or something, you know? Even that, I'd be like, all right, cool.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't bother me in, in the sense that it's, like, a, a lent sense of sympathy to the characters in the context of the movie. But it is just an interesting... Yeah, like I guess, like I said, it doesn't take anything away from that moment in the movie. That movie yeah. is still really cathartic. And, it's Tarantino in a nutshell: cathartic violence. But it's also, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of weird to see how that that moment has aged. By no fault of its own, I guess.
0: Yeah. No, for sure.
3: Otherwise, though, I guess uh, final parting notes. Uh, uh, it's one of Tarantino's better movies, and uh, like I said, I've got my feelings about the guy, but I think he more often than not, directs a really good movie. Um, And this is kind of a shining example of that. All the the technical aspects are there. It's really, really well filmed, well edited. Uh, All the set pieces are really convincing and immersive. Like I said before, the characters are wonderfully, wonderfully rendered in a way that they're integral to a plot that has a lot of momentum of its own. And in a lot of movies that it kind of apes or like is inspired by, doesn't to this degree. Um, So on the whole yeah really really interesting piece for for tarantino and i think his maybe a second best uh historical fiction one if i include uh once upon a time in hollywood because i was really floored by that one but it is much better than django for a lot of reasons that i won't yeah. get into right now but uh but yeah worth checking out for sure
0: yeah i uh it's it's a movie that I appreciate like I don't always I have trouble sometimes watching long movies as as you guys know I don't don't like watching anything that's like more than 90 minutes most of the time um but yeah this is one that like just scene to scene like and and because it's broken up into these five chapters like each chapter has like a very different feel but they're all like really interesting and really engaging and even scenes that last a long time where you are just kind of sitting with characters talking and like uh when they're in the like underground bar scene and at the very beginning with londa talking like all of those are still like super engaging which is like just such a testament to like when you if you're gonna make a movie that long like and you're you know like you're using that time effectively and i like thoroughly appreciate that in a movie big time well, cool. any other thoughts for Christine
2: or Sam? I think you summed up uh, that point, Tori, really well about using time really well. And I, I thought about that scene in the uh, basement restaurant where the, the dialogue meander. He took time to explain how to play a game that everyone knows how to play, which <laughs> I was like, only a very like deliberately sharp writer can make explaining a game art everyone already knows how to play feels so vital to the tension and to the forward momentum of a very, very important, intense scene. Um, mm-hmm. And make it interesting and, and make it flesh out the way all the characters are relating to one another. Um, yeah. And kind of this like wonderful dialogue standoff.
0: I, I love like uh, there's something about like all of uh the way that Bassbender does his German that I really love. Like when I hear, when he's talking about where he's from and he says, like I think about that like all the time for some reason, I think it's so funny the way he says it. Um, And I also just love Stiglitz in that uh, scene in particular, like when the Nazi commander dude sits with them and he's so obviously pissed and then it just cuts to like what he's thinking about and it's him getting lashed. And I was like, oh, man, haven't we all been there when we are just, like, sitting next to, like, the worst person in the world that we, like, do not want anything to do with.
3: Which also ties back to the tension of that Christoph Waltz scene, too. But
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, thanks uh, for talking in Glorious Bastards, guys. Uh, I was I was happy to rewatch this and, and talk about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, pretty enjoyable movie we'll see what other uh, tarantinos we potentially do on the show if we get to some so
3: i would love to do uh, once upon a time in hollywood if you guys all have three hours
0: <laughs> i'd be interested to watch it again i didn't love it as much as i expected but i love the ending
2: <laughs>
0: the yeah
3: what a way fun. to end it <laughs>
0: um Cool. Well, yeah. Um, well, you can find us on all of the social medias, uh, butter with that, uh, butter that podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, um, we uh, have some, like, exciting news as in related to, like, Movie John, uh, which uh, we'll talk a little bit more as the, the launch date comes in February. And then, yeah, um, I've posted some of the information for Killer Bee's podcast, which Garrett and I will be launching soon, and we're both very excited about. Christine graciously did the music for us, uh, and Alex Schneider from A Novel Idea did our graphics, so we're really excited about that. Uh, and then, yeah, next week I'll be covering the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. So um, I'll have some uh, writing up there for Movie John. And uh, thanks. Thanks, guys. We'll uh, talk to you next time.
3: Bye. Ah. <laughs> <been> a in. Avida's
2: in.